y'all have a Bible, you can turn to John 1. John 1. So John tells us why he wrote this book, why he wrote this gospel. It's at the end of the book. He says, the reason I wrote this, the reason I picked the stories that I picked, we talked a couple of weeks ago, the stories in John are really different than the ones in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he says, the reason I picked these stories is because I want y'all to know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And by knowing and believing, you'll have life in his name. And knowing and believing in John is not cognitive or intellectual. It has to do with trust. And he's saying that's the reason I put this book together. And so as we go through John, you keep that in the back of your mind. The reason he's written what he's written, his agenda, his purpose. So the grid that we want to use in understanding John is this grid. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah and that belief leading to life in his name. So what John wants is he says, I want you to trust that Jesus is the Messiah. Last week we were introduced to John the Baptist, different guy named John. And he is a witness. He's someone sent by God to be a witness or to testify. Those are the same words, actually. To be a witness or to testify that Jesus is the true light and that so that people would believe in Jesus through the work or through the testimony of John. And that idea of witness or testimony is really important in the Gospel of John. To be a witness is to have firsthand knowledge of a person or an event. To testify is to then give evidence or to give a report on a person or event about which you have firsthand knowledge. And so what we're going to look at today are uh, the testimony of several different people, John the Baptist and some other guys as well. And let's re- as I read, I want you thinking, what are the identity statements? What are these people saying about Jesus? Because that's the whole point of the book. What are they telling us about Jesus? The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John the Baptist gives four identity statements, four things about Jesus. One, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to come back to that. And then this kind of awkwardly worded, the one who came after me has surpassed me because he's before me. The one whose ministry followed mine, Jesus' ministry chronologically comes after John the Baptist's ministry. John said the reason I baptized was so that the Messiah would be revealed. I came first as a way of preparing the way for the Messiah. So the one whose ministry comes after me has surpassed me. He's greater than me, more important than me. Last week we saw John says, listen, I'm, I'm the best man. Jesus is the groom. He's the center of attention, not me. He's surpassed me because he was before me. So his ministry comes after me. He's greater than me, though, because chronologically he actually comes before me. John was born before Jesus, but we know from the beginning of this gospel, in the, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. So John the Baptist has some insight into Jesus' nature that most people don't have at this point. He knows something about him 
directly from the Lord that somehow he comes, he's, he precedes John, even though John was born first. So that's kind of that cryptic statement. He says, this guy, Jesus, he's, he's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So some background, uh, Jewish thought, history is divided into two eras. There's the present evil age, and then there's the age to come, which is going to be great. So the present evil age, the bad guys are kind of winning, and the good guys, God's people, are being oppressed. They're being uh, taken advantage of. They're being mistreated. And then there's going to come this time called the Day of the Lord. You can you, Maybe when you read the Old Testament, you see that phrase. Don't think of it as a literal 24-hour day, but as a time period when the Messiah will take care of all of those bad guys. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to subjugate them. And then the good guys are going to rule in the age to come. So that's the Jews, God's people. So we have the present evil age, and then we have the age to come, and the transition, the doorway from one to the next is called the day of the Lord. And one of the things that's associated with this age to come is the Holy Spirit will be given more generously than he was in the Old Testament. This isn't exactly a, a great picture, but it, take it for what it's worth. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's kind of like a jacket. And God puts him on certain people for certain tasks for a period of time, then he takes them off. So in Exodus, there's a guy named Bezalel. And the temple, or the, the, the tabernacle needs to, to be built. And so God puts his Holy Spirit on Bezalel like a jacket. And he's really good at making things. And then the temple gets built, or the tabernacle gets built, and the jacket comes off. In um, Samuel, we read about Saul. He's going to become the king. So he gets a, the jacket put on, anointed to be the king. Then Saul disobeys God. The jacket comes off. Put on David so he can now be the king. That's how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, that's not necessarily the case. And John says, this guy, Jesus, I'm dunking you in water. That's what I do. I submerge you in water. He's going to submerge you in the Holy Spirit. It's a sign of this age to come. It's a huge deal uh, for the Jews at the time. And he also says this guy is the chosen one. It comes from Isaiah 42, the servant of God, this one who's set aside, selected, elected by God for particular work. So John says all of those things. He says the, the way I knew it was Jesus, I didn't know going in who it was. But there was a sign that the Father told me would be fulfilled. He said anyone who, on whom the Holy Spirit rests, that, that's the guy. That's the one that you're looking for. And I saw the Holy Spirit rest on Jesus in the form of a dove, like literally a dove resting on Jesus, representing the, or the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove resting on Jesus. John can see that with his eyes. You can see a dove with your eyes. And he says, that's how I knew that he was the one who I was waiting for and the one for whom I was preparing the way. So that's John's testimony. The next day, John the Baptist was there again. So he's out by the Jordan River with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that's the Christ, and Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at Simon and said, you're Simon the son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So John has these two disciples, Andrew and somebody whose name we don't know, 
And when Jesus walks by, John says to his two disciples, that, that's the Lamb of God. And so they begin to follow Jesus. When you hear follow, don't hear just physically walk behind or tail. That They did that. But also that, that's the word used to describe the relationship between a rabbi or a teacher and his disciple. It was to follow. It didn't just mean that you walk behind somebody, but you pattern your life around them. And that's what these guys are doing. And Jesus understands that. When he says, what do y'all want? And they say, we want to know where you're staying. What they're saying is, we, wherever, we're, we're going to be where you are. Wherever you're going, that's where we're going to be. We're hitching our wagon to you now. We're disassociating from John the Baptist, and we're going to start following you as our teacher and rabbi. We're going to pattern our life around you now, not around John. And so Jesus invites them, and we'll come and see. If that's what you want, you come and see. And so they spend the day with him, and then Andrew goes to tell his brother, you've got to come meet this guy, Andrew's testimony. This is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Three different ways of saying the same thing. You've got to meet him. And so he brings Peter to Jesus, and the first thing, or Simon to Jesus, and the first thing Jesus does is he gives Simon a nickname. You're going to be called Peter, which means rock. And we'll see how that plays out in Peter's life as we move through this gospel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, Jesus said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and said, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see even greater things than that. Jesus then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So the next day Jesus is leaving. He says to Philip, follow me. Philip may have been the unnamed guy with Andrew. We don't know. But he says, Philip, come follow me. That's an invitation to relationship. He's saying, come and be my disciple. And Philip says, hold on. I got to go tell Nathaniel, he's going to want in on this. So he goes and finds Nathaniel, and he says, you're never going to believe it. The guy who they talked about in the Old Testament, the guy Moses wrote about in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the guys the prophets wrote about, I found him. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. His dad's Joseph. He's the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, no way. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Either because it's a small town or it's the wrong side of the tracks, there's Nothing in the Old Testament that would say the Messiah would come from Nazareth. We don't know why Nathaniel said it, but that's what he says. No way. Nothing good comes from that town. Philip doesn't argue with him. He just says, well, come and see for yourself. Check it out. See what you think. And so Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, oh, Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Your Bible may say in whom there's no guile or in whom there's nothing false. And Nathaniel's response is interesting. He says, how did you know? That's totally who I am. That's what he says. That's who I am. I'm a true Israelite. There's no deceit in me. How could you have possibly known that? And Jesus says, well, I saw you under a fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel makes this huge leap. I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel says, well, you must be the son of God, the king of Israel. That's a lot to put on somebody seeing you under a fig tree. 
But that's what Nathaniel does. I think he's what he's saying there is. If that's the only thing you know about me, if all you did was see me under a tree and you're able to not just see me under a tree, but actually see it in my heart that I'm a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false and there's something special about you. If that's the only interaction you've had with me is seeing me from a distance. And even in that, you're able to look inside my soul. Then maybe Philip is right. Even though you're from Nazareth, I'm going to say there's something special about you. You're the son of God, the king of Israel. Don't hear son of God as talking about Jesus' divinity. In the Old Testament, kings were called sons of God. So it's saying the same thing. Son of God, king of Israel. That's saying the same thing. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus says, if I impressed you because I saw you under a fig tree, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see way better things than that. I'm going to do way more than that. And he references a story from way back in Genesis 28. Jacob. A man in whom there was a lot of deceit. He was Jacob's the deceiver. That's what that name means. And he was running away from his brother Esau because he'd stolen his brother's blessing. We just think of blessing as words. It was a big deal then. Jacob, or e, Jacob had pretended to be Esau and got his father Isaac to bless him as the firstborn, even though he was secondborn. And Esau found out and he got ticked and so he wanted to kill Jacob. And so Jacob runs away. He's living, he's out in the open desert, and he goes to sleep. He uses a rock for a pillow, and he has a dream. And in this dream where he's running from his brother, he, has a, he sees a stairway from heaven touching earth. And he sees angels ascending and descending on this stairway, exactly what Jesus referred to. And then in this dream, God speaks to Jacob, and he says, Listen, the promise I made your dad, Isaac, the promise I made your granddad, Abraham, I'm going to fulfill that promise in you. You're going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless other nations through you. All of this land where you're sleeping, I'm going to give it to your descendants, and I'm going to be your God. Jacob wakes up and he says, surely God is in this place. And it was called Luz, L-U-Z. And Jacob says, I'm going to rename it Bethel, house of God, because this is the gate of heaven. And that's the story that Jesus refers to. And what he's saying there. I think, is, is he's actually speaking a little bit about his own identity. You know, Andrew says you're the Messiah. John says you're the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Philip says you're the one the Old Testament talked about. Nathaniel says you're the king of Israel. And here's what Jesus says about himself. Two things that he says about himself. He doesn't go into very much detail at all. He calls himself the son of man, which is a, a fuzzy, it's an ambiguous term. Jesus never calls. Jesus doesn't call himself the Messiah. When he refers to himself, he, he almost always uses this phrase, Son of Man, because nobody really knew what he meant. Everybody had an idea of who the Messiah would be. The Messiah will be a warrior. He'll be a king. He'll be strong. He'll lead us in battle. And Jesus didn't want to have to fight those stereotypes and fight those expectations. So he just called himself by some, a different name. I'm the Son of Man. Nobody really knew what he meant. You can read Daniel 7 if you want to see some background on it, but that's how Jesus refers to himself, and we'll see that play out throughout the gospel. But I think he's also, by implication, saying, you could call me Bethel. That's who I am. That story in Genesis 28, where your ancestor Jacob, as he's talking to Nathaniel, this true Israelite, your ancestor Jacob, where he had this experience in this dream, and he saw a, a staircase 
connecting heaven and earth and angels ascending and descending. And he said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. That's actually me. I'm that guy. There's a picture where people say that's Bethel. That's in Israel. None of those rocks were there. We probably built those so we could charge money when people want to go see it. It was really just, it used to be just one rock. And Jacob said, here's the place. And what Jesus is saying is, that's me. I'm that place. I'm the house of God. He says in, J- in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I'll build it again in three days. He's talking about his body. He says, that's me. I'm the house of God. Everything that you think of with the temple, the being the place where God dwells, all of that is right here in me. He says in John 10, I'm the gate of the sheep. If you see Bethel as the gate of heaven, that's actually me. I'm the entry point. I'm the entryway. If you want access to the Father, you've got to come through me. He unpacks all of those things later, but I think by implication, uh, what Jesus is saying here is, is to Nathaniel, this true Israelite, it's me. All of the things that are wrapped up in that name Bethel are true about me, the Son of Man. You're going to see way more than me calling you out from under a fig tree. We see all these words given about Jesus in these three witness statements. John the Baptist, he's the Lamb of God, you're the chosen one. You're the one who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. This, you're the one who's, before, who's followed me, who's greater than me because you were before me. Andrew, you're the Messiah. Philip, the one the Old Testament predicted. Nathaniel, you're the king of the Jews the king of Israel, pushes me. What do I say about him? What do you say about him? If, if this whole section is about being a witness and having a testimony, are you a witness and do you have a testimony? Is there something that you would say about him? In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them, Peter, the spokesperson, who do people say that I am? It's the most important question anybody will ever answer in their whole life. Nothing that you're thinking about now is more important than the answer to that question. Nothing going on in your life right now is more important than that question. That is the most significant question anybody and everybody will ever answer. Who do we say Jesus is? Who is he? He's the most famous person in history. That's not me speaking from a posture of faith. That's objectively true. He's the most influential person in history. Think of all of the things done in his name. Bad things, inquisitions, and crusades, and wonderful things. Schools, and children's homes, and hospitals. Languages being written down that had only been oral forever. People going to the ends of the earth and raising people's standards of living. Think of all the things that are done. Not even speaking to the spiritual life that he brings to everyone. MIT created this algorithm, of course, right? Um, It's called Pantheon. I don't understand it. I went to Georgia, not MIT. But what they've done is they've they've looked at everybody who was born from 4,000 B.C. to 2010. That's what they did. Jesus is the most famous one, number one on the list. Something with Wikipedia, I don't understand. But that's what they did, some algorithm they created. You don't need MIT to tell you that. He's the most influential and the most famous person who's ever lived. And so the question for each one of us is, who do I say that he is? There's a list up there on the screen of things from John chapter 1. He's the Word. 
who was with God and was God and became flesh and lived among us. He's the true light who gives light to everyone. Through him, everything that has been created was created. He's the son, full of grace and truth, who reveals the father to us. Again, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The chosen one, the Messiah. All of the, who do you say that he is? You may be sitting there this morning saying, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I would challenge you and encourage you. Again, there's nothing going on in your life more significant than the answer to that question. So many of those terms really speak to Jesus as being set apart, as being special, chosen, elected, selected. They speak to his power and his majesty, the idea of being anointed, Christ, Messiah, King, we have a picture of all of those, and it's Jesus in this really elevated state. And then there's one of those terms that kind of circle what doesn't belong, it doesn't fit. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the Old Testament, lambs were substitutes. Lambs were often killed in place of someone who actually deserved to die. It goes all the way back to Exodus. The Israelites are in slavery. God has been sending these plagues on the Egyptians, you remember that, the frogs and the flies and the gnats and hail and darkness. And this is number 10. It's the granddaddy of them all. He's tired. Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart. Now God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And he's saying, we're done. You're going to let my people go. Here's my, here's the, the ultimate plague. I'm going to sweep through this whole country tonight. I'm killing the firstborn in every house. Devastating. That's what I'm going to do. But to you Israelites, here's what y'all are going to do. You're going to kill a lamb. And you're going to put the blood of that lamb on, the door, on your door frame. And when this angel of the Lord comes through tonight, he's going to pass over every house that has blood on the door frame. That's where we get that, the, the name of that holiday, that festival, Passover. This, lamb, this angel of God is going to pass over every house that's got blood on the door frame. You're going to kill a lamb in order to save your firstborn sons. That's what you're going to do. And the Israelites do that and they're... Set free. Isaiah 53, there's the development of this idea of a lamb. And this time the lamb has become a person, the servant of God. We read this chapter on Good Friday leading into Easter. It's a popular Easter passage because it speaks to Jesus as our substitute. Jesus taking punishment that was due us. Jesus bearing the penalty for the sins that we committed. You can see the bullet points there on the screen. Just a few Phrases from that famous chapter, Isaiah 53, that says Jesus is a substitute. He's this lamb who was led to the slaughter. And here are all of the things that were put upon him. All of the things that were due us, that were put upon him, the way he stood in our place. He was a substitute for us. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So all the way back in Exodus, we have a lamb who is killed. So firstborn sons can live. And then in the crucifixion of Jesus, we have the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of God who's killed. So all of us can live. It's amazing. It doesn't fit with the idea of a king and a Messiah and a Christ and a chosen one. But it's who he is. And so I ask you this morning, who is he to you? Who do you say that he is? Do you have a testimony? Many of you made a decision to follow Jesus. You're patterning your life around him. And so then the question for us becomes, 
who, who am I sharing that with? That word evangelism, is it's got so much baggage around it, not helpful for many of us. But when you look here in John chapter 1, you see maybe we'll call it a model for what evangelism can look like. What does Philip do when he goes to Nathaniel? Man, I've met this guy and he's the guy. He's the Messiah. He's the one the Old Testament predicted. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's Joseph's son. And Nathaniel says, Philip, you're no. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Does Philip argue with him? No. What does he say? C- come and see. You check it out for yourself. See what you think. What if evangelism looked like that? What if sharing your testimony, who you know Jesus to be, direct first-hand knowledge, what if that looked like saying to somebody, listen, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to try to convince you that I'm right. And I'm certainly not going to try to convince you that you're wrong. All, just, you just come and see. Come and see for yourself. And you say, that'd be great, except Jesus isn't walking around. Is he? If you're following him and the Holy Spirit lives within you, is there a sense in which Jesus is walking around? Is there a sense in which you could say to somebody, just come and see. I'm not better than anybody else. Let me show you what he's done in my life. Let me show you the difference he's made in his life. You just, you just, you just come and see. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not debating you. I'm not judging you. I'm not trying to prove that you're wrong or that I'm right. You just come and see for yourself. It's an invitation to an experience, not the opening of an argument. Come and see. John 15 says, if we abide in Jesus, he produces fruit in us. It's not pressure to perform. It doesn't mean your life has to be perfect. It's a recognition that if you're patterning your life after Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you. There's going to be fruit. And that fruit is going to make other people thirsty for him and hungry for him. That's what Jeremy talked about when he opened the service. That's what that looks like. That's, and you come and see what the difference he's made in my life. You can taste this and see this. The, when, when things go sideways for you or for me, there's peace that other people don't have. There's perspective that other people don't have. There's joy that other people don't have. There's hope that other people don't have. It's not because we're better than anybody. It's because the Holy Spirit lives within us and he produces that fruit. Come and see. Come and see how I respond when things don't go my way. Come and see how I respond when there's a tragedy or a disappointment or a betrayal or a frustration. Come and see how I do my job. Come and see when nobody's looking. Look how I do... You can, come on, boss it and stand it over my shoulder. Come and see how I behave with righteousness and integrity. Come and see the way I express compassion to people. Not because I'm some super great person, but because God lives within me and he has compassion on all. You can do that. I'm an introvert. If you know me, you know that. Hanging out with people is like, 37th on my list of things to do. Not a big... And when I hear evangelism, it gives me hives. I think, oh gosh, I'm going to have to talk to people. I'm going to have to talk to people I don't know. It's going to be uncomfortable because I'm right and they're wrong. 
all of that for me. And I don't know if that's what you hear. But for me, if I think, man, God formed me and shaped me and knit me together in my mother's womb. There's a Psalm 139 for all of us. How God has formed us and shaped us and knit us together. And he knows that. And if the Holy Spirit lives within me, he empowers me to be a witness. Not to be a prosecuting attorney or defense attorney, but he's anointed me to be a witness. And all I have to do to someone is say, this is who I know Jesus to be. And you can look at my life and see how that sits for you. You can see if there's anything in my life that then causes you to hunger and thirst for him. That changes things for me. And maybe that changes things for you. Some of you are great cold calling and knocking on doors. I'm not. But I can invite somebody to come and see. Not because there's anything great about me at all. But because the one who lives in me is great. And he's the same one who lives in you if you've chosen to follow him. So two questions this morning. One, what's your testimony? Who do you say that he is? And two, who are you sharing that with? I'm not super emotional as a rule. When I experience emotions, I think a lot of times, and this is not meant to manipulate you, I think it's just genuine and true, I think it's the Lord. And so I try to be sensitive to that and say, all right, who, who needs to know that God cares? Like if I'm crying, it's because God wants somebody here to know that he cares. Let's pray for a second. And so if that's you this morning, like I mean this with all genuineness, if it was just me, I wouldn't be crying for you. But he cares and he wants you to know. So don't hear that as manipulative, but as revelatory. It's an element of God's character and nature that maybe you don't know. We read that word compassion and we move beyond it. It's a deep word that has emotional content to it. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He sees they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And if that's you this morning, God wants you to know that he cares. He cares enough that he sent his son to die for you so that you have the opportunity to have life in him. His son he sent as a substitute. This lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And not just in a general sense, but he takes away your sins as well. If you'll choose this morning to believe that Jesus is the Messiah... And by believing in him, you can have life in his name. If that's where you're sitting this morning, I'd encourage you. In your own heart and in your own words. Just say, I'll follow you. That's the invitation. Follow me. Just say yes.
and we'd love to talk with you about that. For many of you, you've already made a decision to pattern your life after Jesus. I would encourage you this morning, are you aware of your testimony? If Jesus were to ask you, who do you say that I am? Or maybe if someone else were to ask you, who is Jesus? Would you have an answer that's not just jargon and lingo and slogans? Could you tell somebody, this is who Jesus is? Let me tell you who he is and let me tell you who he is to me. I'm, I'm a witness I have direct, first-hand knowledge and experience with this man. And let me, let me tell you who he is. You don't have to use churchy words. You don't have to be able to quote a Bible verse. Who do you know him to be? If you're going, I'm not, I'm following him, but honestly, I don't have a great answer for that question. I'm just kind of moving along. I would encourage you. Take some time. Dive deep. Jesus, show me more fully who you are. You may be sitting here saying, I I, I know who he is and I, I, I feel pretty good about my testimony in terms of answering that question, but when it comes to sharing, that's not my thing. That's just not my thing. I can't get there. Maybe what you would want to pray this morning is that the Holy Spirit would empower you to be a witness according to your Psalm 139. He's not going to put you on the square with a megaphone. You don't have to worry about that. According to how he's formed you and shaped you, he's going to use you to be a witness. Someone who can say to somebody else, just this is who I've found. He's the one. He's the good shepherd. He's been that to me. He's the light of the world. He's been that to me. He took away my sins. I don't feel guilty anymore. Let me tell you who he is. And if there's pushback, you don't have to convince and you don't have to argue. You just say, just come and see. Just watch me for a while. Get involved in my life. I'm going to get involved in yours. And watch how people begin to hunger and thirst for him when they taste the fruit that he produces in you. So Holy Spirit, I pray now for each one of us. No condemnation, no guilt just before you as sons and daughters who are followers of Jesus and attempting to share him with other people, I pray that you would stir our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray for any in the room that don't know you that they would know you, that they would know you, Jesus, as the word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, as the lamb who takes away their sins, as the promised one who is bringing about this age to come. That they would know you as the king and they would know you as the great teacher. They would know you as a healer and a provider. They would know you as a shepherd and a guide. and They would know you personally in their own life. As Savior and Lord, we ask. And for the rest of us who've already made that decision, God, would you use us and give us grace to point other people to you. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be self-righteous. We certainly don't want to be scared either. So would you empower us, I pray, to point others to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with ministry. We've got a few minutes. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. I would say specifically these two things. If you're going, I don't have a great answer to that question. Who is Jesus? We want to pray. And all we're going to pray is for Jesus to reveal himself to you in a way that you would get. We're not going to try to convince you of anything. You may say, I know, but when it comes to sharing, that's not my thing. 
we're going to pray that God would empower you to be a witness according to your Psalm 139. Not that he would make you into somebody that you're not, but that according to how he's made you, he would use you to point other people to him in a way that you can just say, hey, just come and see. Come and see. You don't have to become a Bible scholar or apologetics expert. All you have to do is be a witness to who he is. This front row of chairs will be open. You may want to come and pray for somebody who you know is far from the Lord. You pray that God would reveal himself to those people uh, today and this week and this month. And, uh, you know, for some of you, you've been praying for the same person for a long time and you're wondering, I don't know if it works and I don't know if God's forgotten about them. You may want to just come and, and pray. And what we'll pray for you is that the Lord will stir hope in you again. He's always pursuing people. He doesn't give up on anybody. There's always time until there's not. And that's not yet. So uh, depending wherever you are on that spectrum, uh, we would love the opportunity to pray with you about that. So you guys can stand, and uh, Bo will dismiss us in a minute. Ministry teams, you guys can come forward.